TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. You can find me online, Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook, or if you go to KMOX.com, there's some links on there if you go to the uh, personality side. Joining us now is someone that watches the county politics very closely, Tom Sullivan. How are you? I am doing fine, Ryan. Nice to be with you. You talk to a lot of people, I'm sure. Have you ever met one person that said, oh, man, I wish they would just keep pumping money into the loop trolley? Uh, I have not, and in fact, uh, I saw a KMOX uh, poll that the station did, and it looked like about 88% were opposed to giving any more money to the to the trolley, and I would say that's pretty pretty similar to what I have heard. In fact, I don't even know where that 12% are for it. I don't know where they even came from. Who knows? Some people like to just watch the world burn. So I wanted to mention out with the loop trolley. I just in the last segment spoke to Kurt Prenzler uh, and, you know, Kurt, and he mentioned, well, why isn't it that the businesses are gathering and putting the money together? Why can't they fundraise and find one point two six million if it's so beneficial to them, if it's so beloved by them? You know, why can't they be the ones to put this money forward and not the taxpayers? And I, I, don't, they, I find that's yeah. a good idea. I think they have had it with the trolley. I think the uh, university city government has kind of had it with the trolley, and I don't think anybody thinks that uh, raising raising more uh, taxes for it it would would make any sense. Uh, in fact, the Elliot Davis had a piece about a month or so ago, and he interviewed the university city manager, and he's talking about dismantling it possibly next year in the in the second quarter. So I don't think that there's much support for anybody uh, raising taxes for the for the loop trolley. I think everybody has realized, except perhaps, except perhaps Joe Edwards, that this thing has kind of come to a, a dead end. And every money, every every bit of tax dollars they put into it so far, plus a lot of private money, uh, it ha- they have just spent it, and they just keep coming back for more. I mean, you have to realize, in addition to all the, you got the federal money. St. Louis County gave three million dollars. Uh, Clayco gave gave the trolley half a million dollars. Uh, they've gone through all this money, and then they just keep coming back for more. So at some point, I think you have to say uh, the show is over, and I think we have reached that point. What if they said, here, I got an idea. You know, the uh, St. Louis Economic Development Partnership, we're going to just cut their funding by $1.2 million and then we'll just give it to the trolley. Would you support that? 
Uh, you mean East, <laughs> East West Gateway? <laughs> no, I'm sp- I'm speaking about the. If you're talking about Elliot Davis, it reminded me of the you paid for it, where he goes oh, in yeah. and looks at all these six figure salaries. You got about five vice presidents, no one working, they, nothing to show for anything that they've done over the past couple of years. I thought, okay, if you're going to come up with 1.2 million, why don't you take it from things like that? And then realize that if it's going from one wasteful spending thing to another wasteful spending, then I guess it's a wash. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, the the economic partnership is pretty good at uh, at wasting money. So, uh, uh, yeah, they could do that. But it, it, I'd like to see somebody actually do something that that provides tax revenue instead of uh, instead of eating it up. I know that you pay close attention to the way money is spent. So when it comes to that figure, the 1.2 some million dollars, can you think of better ways to spend that in the county? Well, yeah, there, there's no question about that. I mean, the county has a whole long list of, of, uh, of issues they have to deal with. And some, a lot of them have been neglected. I mean, you have, first of all, you have a crime problem in, in St. Louis County. It only seems to get worse. You know, some of these neighborhoods are, are deteriorating. You have the economic partnership cannot even get trash from some off of the property that the county owns you know if they can't do that you have to wonder what what can they do so there's there's a whole list of things that uh you could spend spend uh funds for in st louis county that are a lot better than, than some of what they're doing so really have we heard anything else about repaying the government because we've we're under that threat if we close this thing down we're going to be in threat of default and we'll owe the government all this money and things like that that seemed to have just disappeared i, don't, I haven't heard that in a long time that was just a phony issue it was a year ago that the regional administrator for um this region which in, I know several midwest states he came from he came to the uh bi-state meeting uh with this plan you know he's, he, he happened to find uh nearly two million dollars that he wanted to spend on on, on the trolley and of course, they brought up this issue. What about this? What about this idea that you might want the money back, or, or you might want to uh, hold up future funding? And so the question was, have you ever tried to get the funding back? And he goes, No, we never have. But at one time, we considered it. So that was just been a phony issue from the start. I mean, that the government. I mean, it's like anything, and not every project is, is, is going to work. This whole project was was based on politics to begin with. It wasn't like it was it was something that people wanted. You know, if Joe Edwards were able to try to reorganize this as out-of-state or out-of-city lobbyist, Sam Page might even be willing to throw a million dollars at it. So just an idea for Joe Edwards. That's kind of a cheap shot. But something else I wanted to talk to you about is the uh, report that came out, the Missouri Gambling Commission, and some of these secret reports that have been going. As someone that really pays close attention, doesn't that concern you when the government starts secretly doing things that should be available to the public? Oh, uh, that is. There's always a constant fight where you have people. Governments find newer and creative ways to keep things covered up. And this this was a uh, nearly $400,000 report. And what they do is they'll go out and they'll have a, a law firm do the do some do a investigation, and then they'll say, "Well, this is this is confidential. You know, this is between. Uh, you know, this is legal. You know, this is the, 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 the there's a client." Uh, privilege involved, so so it has to be all covered up. So that has been a fight that's been going on now for for some time, and uh, I don't know if it's going to end up in court. But the Missouri Gaming Commission has had uh, has had some some real issues. In fact, they I think they're looking for a director right now. So, but the idea that you can spend four hundred thousand dollars on a report and then keep it covered up, I think, is certainly not something that's uh, uh, government at its best. Anything come out of the county council meeting yesterday? Yes, 
probably the big issue was they, they passed a resolution of no confidence in the county counselor, Beth Arwick. Uh, this mainly has to do with uh, the fact that she she's the one who, who filed the lawsuit against the uh, several members of the county council claiming that uh, uh, removing Lisa Clancy as a chair and then installing their own their own chair uh, by a, by a uh, voting process by a majority vote was was certainly not something that that she said that that shouldn't be allowed. And of course, it all went to court, and and God knows how much money is being spent for legal fees on that, or has been spent. And of course, uh, the county lost; she lost. But this is just the latest thing that's been going on with her. If you go back to one of the first things she was involved with was the Wildhaber case, where you know. They should. The county should have, should have settled it. They could have. They could have settled it for less than a million dollars. Uh, it went to a jury verdict. The jury came back with a with a twelve million dollar verdict. And eventually, they settled it for ten million dollars. But then they they decided to finance it with a bond issue, so it's going to cost county taxpayers fifteen million dollars. What could have been settled for less than a million dollars. So there's been all these various things that have been happening uh, with the county counselor. And uh, so finally, Tim Fish came up with a res- produced a resolution, and uh, they voted on it, and it was four to three. That's that's kind of the way things are going now with the with the council. It's we have a new majority, and and uh, so the the old guard, which was Lisa Clancy when she was the chair, is kind of uh, kind of in the minority now. Yeah, lots of drama there. And did the, do you think they're getting along any better, or do you think things are just still as d- dysfunctional as ever? No, there's still a lot of bad blood, because now we have a situation where uh, Sam Page cannot get things passed that the majority wants to hold up because he doesn't have the votes. On the other hand, if somebody in the majority tries to get something passed and they pass it by a 4-3, to three, well, then Sam Page will uh, veto it, and they don't have the five votes to override it. In fact, we had two of those at the council meeting last night. One has to do with they were trying to reduce um, Rochelle Walton Gray's, re- reduce the amount that Rochelle Walton Gray is being paid. This was the this was looked upon as as sort of a payback to her for voting for uh, Lisa Clancy at the illegal meeting. Well, they had they passed it and said we're going to reduce the the health department budget by $122,000, which is the total cost of her of her uh, pay, and uh, Sam Page vetoed it, and then they didn't have enough votes to override it. Uh, and then they had another one, they were going to try to cut $150,000 lobbying fees, and again, it came up for, Sam Page vetoed it, and it came up to override it, and they did not have enough votes. So uh, that looks like what we're going to be... Uh, going to be fighting back and forth on but no there is there is uh there's bad blood and it doesn't look like it's they're going to be getting along anytime soon yeah and have they fixed their technical issues do they have that settled at least uh somewhat yeah they're getting better but you know i think it's 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 time for the council to start thinking about going back to the to the council chambers and having their meetings because the legislature's been meeting since january every various other city councils around town are meeting and the St. Louis County Council Chamber is a rather big place, so I mean, it's not like it's uh, you're going to be on top of one another. So, I would hope that they start thinking about moving back to the chamber. Mm, that would be good. Rather Tom than- Sullivan, uh, local county watchdog. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate every time you come on because you bring such great insight into what's going on in the county. Thanks, Ryan. Nice to be with you. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line.
This is Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Wow. Tom Sullivan, always so good. We're going to talk illness. We're going to talk about healthcare. We're going to talk about insurance with Michael Young, Dr. Young, in about 10 minutes from now. So that's an interesting conversation. He's got a book out. I think that'll be a good one. I, I wanted to just give you an update on what's going down with the whole Pierce Morgan thing, and it's it's still going on. Pierce Morgan is someone that is known, at least here in the United States, mostly because of his time on CNN, but also because he would score some pretty big interviews with President Trump, for example, during the election. I think people watch those. He was given at least some time when Trump would be overseas over in the UK. You'd normally stop and talk and do an interview with Piers Morgan until that kind of went a little bit sour, but apparently they patched it up. I really don't know. So this goes back to the whole Meghan Markle commentary that he had. A lot of people upset about it. A lot of people not upset about it. In fact, it kind of went both ways. Well, Piers Morgan cast himself as a free speech hero now. And in a way, I kind of understand exactly where he's coming from, because in a time when you can say anything and say, I, I just I have my doubts. You can't even say I have my doubts without people going crazy anymore. And he was someone that has always spoke his mind. He's probably said things a lot worse than this Meghan Mar- Markle thing. He's probably been on the forefront of a lot of other things that you can argue. And he's someone that's very confrontational. So when he's in the studio, he's not afraid to bring certain things up. He's probably the most confrontational of the Good Morning Britain show that's over there. Much different than the television shows that you see here in the United States. If you watch Good Morning America, not even close when it comes to the issues. They don't shy away from things over in the BBC. The Good Morning Britain, they'll tackle very complex and very difficult topics. And they're more than happy to try to be confrontational and in some cases offensive in the way that they handle them to try to bring out opinions and really talk about it and get to the the root, the nature of things. And they're really not afraid to get into it. But over here in the United States, it's more like puff pieces. Wait till you see this water skiing squirrel. Oh, isn't that such a cute squirrel? News at nine. See you later, guys. Good Morning America doesn't really cover it that way, but they do in a much different talk show type way over in the BBC. So he gave his commentary about Meghan Markle, uh, doesn't like it, and gets called out, leaves the set. The next thing you know, he's leaving. He he says he's uh, leaving the show. And part of the leaving the show has to do with him talking about free speech. And with reporters today, just trying to go over the situation. If people want to believe Meghan Markle, that's entirely their right. I don't believe almost anything that comes out of her mouth. I think the damage she's done to the British monarchy and to the Queen at a time when Prince Philip was lying in hospital is enormous and frankly contemptible. Now, I'm going to play the rest of this, but the Sky News posted this clip and they said, warning, this clip contains flash photography. And that's the sound you hear in the background. They have to give a warning, because if you don't know what that is. And frankly contemptible. So uh, if I have to fall on my sword for expressing an honestly held opinion about Meghan Markle and that diatribe of bilge that she came out with in that interview, so be it. He's really gambling here. I think the big gamble is Meghan Markle is going to be exposed for who she is. I, I don't think that she's this pure, honest type of, you know, type of soul that can do no wrong and she is just pure as uh, snow is white and she's never said anything bad or done anything bad in her life and you know fill in the blank they they make it look like she's infallible in a certain way and incapable 
of misleading or giving uh, false statements or whatever it is in order to draw attention to herself. I think that Pierce Morgan, Pierce Morgan, um, yeah, I feel like uh, he's going to be waiting for the moment where there's a crack in that story and people realize that there are some problems and things don't add up. And when they start to go back and look at this, they say, okay, here's, here's the faults with this here is where she wasn't being truthful. And he's going to come back and say, guys, I told you so all along. I don't know what that means for him as a broadcaster. I, I don't think he really needs good morning Britain. I'm sure there's other agencies that would take a flyer on him. I don't know if sky news would be the thing, you know, going from BBC to them, but there's, there's other options that people do consume in there. Maybe he comes back and to the United States and does something. I don't know. I don't know if people would care for him here. He did such a terrible job on CNN. He's the one that took over for Larry King after he stepped down from his talk show on CNN. And that's a big seat to fill. Larry King, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger. He built that CNN. I mean, when people think of the heyday of CNN, they think of the Iraq war in the 90s, or Desert Storm, I should say. They, the live footage and the overnight footage and the, you know, the green missiles and all of that, watching it from the night vision. And they think of Larry King. And those are the things that really built that news empire. And today it's just like nothing compared to where it was in the 1990s. It's a not, uh, to say it's a shell of the way it was before is an overstatement. It's not even that it's like a it's it's just like a, a, a drop in the ocean from where it is before. So he says one other thing about the woke crowd although the woke crowd will have thought they think that they've cancelled me i think they'll be rather disappointed when i re-emerge <laughs> when i re-emerge i kind of like the way he brings that up they're going to be so disappointed when i re-emerge in the woke crowd i think we need to remember that you can't ignore the woke crowd and fight back you don't have to get into it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that do support him because they look at it and say, no, nah, I'm, I'm kind of with him on this one. And there's certainly a lot of uh, people that look that way. And I'm sure there's going to be people that want to give him another chance. And then there's going to be a lot of attention towards it. And I'm sure he'll bring an audience just for the sake of sometimes people like to see an argument. Sometimes people like to see people and personalities they don't personally like. And he's going to be one of those that will do it. He's, he's fine. He's good over there. He's terrible here in the United States. Terrible broadcaster. I mean, don't give him another talk show here, please. Just let him do his thing over there. Let him be popular over there, and let's just be done with it. But that's kind of the latest, in case you're wondering about that broadcast thing. Um, and, you know, other people are reporting on it. And he's out there quoting Winston Churchill, and <laughs> might be going a little bit overboard if you're trying to compare yourself to him. But I'm sure he's not, but uh, I know. He might be a little bit into himself there. All right, coming up after the break, there is a Dr. Michael J. Young, he wrote a book called The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice. We talk a lot about healthcare, and with this latest spending uh, from the stimulus package, we're talking billions of dollars going to some of the different uh, Obamacare programs that are in place still. Really, when it comes to private medicine, when it comes to insurance companies, when it comes to just the overall experience, the way medicine goes, clinical practice, things like that. What's his take on that in his book? Is going to join us, uh, Dr. Michael J. Young, right after the break. We'll take a look at your weather, too. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here 
on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons. And on Cardinal's Open Line, sponsored in part by TRU's Homes. I'm your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Here we are in Overnight America. Healthcare is still a pretty big issue, but it seems like we've been talking about it less as of late, but there's still a lot of questions of how we move forward in the United States with it. Joining us is the author of a book called The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice, Dr. Michael J. Young. Thanks for coming on to KMOX. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So how long have you been a practicing doctor? Uh, 33 years. Mm, you've probably seen Hard a lot to of believe. changes. It goes quickly. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So dramatic changes over 33 years, I'm sure. So uh, the way we sit today in the way that the healthcare system is operated in the United States, kind of give me your overall impressions of how things are going. Well, I, I think that those three decades certainly does give me a perspective. And uh, when I started practice and uh, how I viewed medicine has certainly uh, changed, and uh, unfortunately, I would have to say it has devolved. It has gotten worse in many regards. Uh, certainly, we have better technology today than ever. We have perhaps the finest technology in the world, yet we have uh, the least, or I should say, uh, amongst the poorest access to health care. We oh. have a system that what really drove me to write about it was my perspective that health care became more entrenched in the business of health care than in actually taking care of people. Uh, and that is something that I have seen uh, from many angles. Uh, and now that I left practice, I, I can see it even more objectively. Is the insurance industry evil? I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> use the words evil, but I do feel that the insurance industry is uh, at the heart of many of the problems. You know, the expression, he who owns the gold makes the rules, and they control the flow of money. And unfortunately, the insurance company sits in the the middle, if you will, of uh, the complex between the patient, the provider, and the hospital. And in many cases, uh, the patient uh, is really left in the dark. It's a rather opaque system uh, that they don't know what they have been paying for for X number of years until they actually need it. And when they do, uh, obviously, it's it's very difficult to... Um, to change course, you know, when you're in a particular healthcare predicament. Um, mm. I kind of look at this in a sense uh, where the health industry, the healthcare uh, insurance industry, really 
controls the system. If, if you were to, say, purchase a new car or you want to purchase a car, you could easily go online. You could call various dealerships and find out the price and what are you going to get. And if I were to do the same as a patient and call the hospital and tell them that I am going to have X procedure coming up electively, what's the cost? You're not going to get an answer. You're going to get a question. Hmm. And the question that you will be faced with by the hospital person will be, what's your insurance? Mm -hmm. Because the cost that you are going to pay out of pocket, the cost that you are going to expect your insurance to pay is really going to be dependent upon the contract and the relationship that that insurance company has established with your hospital, with your hospital group, and your provider. Hmm. And so it really is liquid. There is no fixed cost. Uh, it's, a, it's a very um, intangible uh, fee that you are going to be subjected to when you get your bill. Uh, and again, it's all predicated on that relationship that you had nothing to do with. Mm. You lots got your of, insurance. Uh, Pardon me? Yeah. I was going to say you, lots of bureaucracy and lots of uh, wasted money, it seems like, that goes through these different systems that ultimately do not benefit the patient. Oh, awful. We, we look at our healthcare system in the United States, and the waste uh, is estimated to be somewhere between 20 and 25%. Uh, of a you know three three and a half trillion dollar uh, budget, uh, that is a lot of money, and roughly two hundred billion of that is estimated alone to be related to administrative problems. Mm -hmm. um, getting a handle on, on on trying to get healthy is is a challenge, and it's often uh, presented to people at the time when they're least able to uh, contend with it. Mm -hmm. I, I see something, and I'm looking at some of the different uh, writings and reviews of your book, The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice, and the author of that book, Dr. Michael J. Young, joining us here on Overnight America. So medicine has become a mechanism of profit. So kind of talk a little bit about how the medicine itself plays into this and the different companies that uh, profit from them and why that could be the problem, part of it at least. Well, and again, I, I think there's plenty of blame to go around, and uh, and I don't think it is any one particular group. Uh, part of the problem is the way our healthcare system is currently arranged, in that we have a very fragmented system, and consequently, everybody is pulling a thread per their own perspective, what they need. Uh, what they need out of a particular situation. Uh, the physicians today uh, often are employed, owned, managed, run by a corporate or hospital setting. We know roughly 45% of all practices, medical practices, are now owned by hospital setting. So if we look at that particular uh, angle, uh, when you are in the first time in our history of physicians where fewer physicians actually own their own practice uh, than ever. Uh, there are no more independent practices, or very few. Uh, when the hospital situation or, or organization owns your practice, they're, of course, dictating your behavior. 
they will dictate to you how many patients they expect you to see in a particular period of time. Uh, the protocols that you as a physician are mandated to do for a particular problem have been established. And uh, not to be overly cynical, but I would argue that some of these uh, protocol trees or decision-making plans uh, are often those that will generate the most income or perhaps be the, the most efficient way. Uh, questionably, is it the best way? Hmm. So cost has become a major issue when you have a corporate structure running the physician. And I think all of us, myself included, uh, we, we are all patients at some point in our life, whether you're in the dentist office or, or what have you, we are all in that chair uh, at, the, at the mercy of who is working on us. And we've all been in that vulnerable position. Um, and it is quite disturbing when, for instance, uh, when I was in practice and the hospitalist system, a system that perhaps many of your listeners are aware of, whereby uh, hospitals who now own the various medical practices uh, have established a method that uh, they will have their own assigned physician see you when you are in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds very efficient, and it is because now that primary care physician or surgeon, what have you, can stay in his or her office and not make the commute back and forth to the hospital see two or three patients. So the hospitalist system exists. And that is a physician that you as a patient when you're ill don't really know. And many of these doctors who I had conversations with were incentivized to get people out of the hospital as quickly as possible. Now, was it safe? Up to a point, sure. I'm not accusing them of, of, of doing anything negligent. But, boy, it sure would have been nice to have a patient stay an extra day to get that extra few doses of, of pain medication that they can't control as well at home. So from that perspective, the physician is being managed, and I think that has led to a great deal of frustration. I think that has led to uh, what we are seeing, uh, such a high rate of burnout among physicians where they're not really taking care of patients, they're taking care of the business of, of managing patients. And that is not why I nor many of my colleagues went into practice. When we look at the hospital environment, uh, to continue to address your question about, you know, where we point the finger, the, the hospitals are under contract with various insurance companies, and the payment that the hospitals receive is predicated on various metrics and I can clearly recall being at any number of departmental meetings that the first thing discussed was the volume. How many mm -hmm. of X, Y, or Z procedure did you do? Because the more we do, the better our, our contractual relationship. And at the very end question was, what was the quality? What were the outcomes? And so I think we have to look at how reimbursement from a insurance company to a hospital should be predicated on, on value-based, not volume-based. And so a lot of the issues with hospitals and their contractual relationships, again, not only with insurance companies, but device manufacturers, mm -hmm. um, et cetera, you know, and the yeah. physical therapy, the whole 
you know, we're, we're looking at the largest industry in America when you are inclusive of all of the moving parts. We look mm-hmm. at the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, here is an industry that uh, sets their prices, as, as you and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners are aware. Uh, Congress can't negotiate the prices for drugs um, with Medicare. Um, so the pharmaceutical industry can charge what they will. Uh, they spend two to four times their money on, on, on promotion as opposed to research and development. Uh, and obviously we've seen many cases where the drug prices are just completely out of, out of control. Mm. Uh, so there's plenty of blame to go around, but the reality, I think, is that our, our structure of health care uh, is allowing this fragmentation and allowing everybody to to pull at the strings that are feeding their particular need. I wonder, uh, there's a few things that you mentioned there, and joining us here is Dr. Michael J. Young. He's wrote a book called The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice, and maybe we'll take this after the break, but uh, a few things I wanted to ask you. Uh, Number one, really, what you cover in your book, because I know a lot of this you do, but in general, the scope of your book, but when you talk about the number of wasted dollars and 25%, that's a huge number when you think about the amount of money we spend in the United States in healthcare. I'm wondering, is there a party that benefits from that waste? And is there an incentive to try to make sure there is wasteful parts of healthcare? And the other part is, you think there's some collusion going on behind the scenes because going on that side of the table. So two questions I want to ask you after the break, if you don't mind hanging around. Of course. So Dr. Michael J. Young, in his book, The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice, if people wanted to find your book or find you online, where can they look? Well, unfortunately, with our current state of affairs, bookstores are, are no longer uh, a place to go. But certainly online, one could go to Amazon and simply type in The Illness of Medicine, and that should pop up. Or they can go to my website, uh, michaeljyoungmd.com. And Great. that will find a link to those to my various books. More with Dr. Michael J. Young right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. He's the author of a book that's out. You can find The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice. And Dr. Michael J. Young, thanks for coming on again to Overnight America. I appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. I wanted to ask you about this wasted money that it just, it's hard to believe the amount of money we spend in the United States on health care, that 25% of it is wasted. Um, the benefit, who benefits from that? And is there an incentive to not fix it? That is an excellent question. Uh, but I don't think the answer is, is, is one that is easy. Um, part of the problem of the wastefulness is predicated on just our social perspective of, of what we uh, perhaps entitlement, demand, expectations as Americans are, are, are placing on the system. Uh, we have a disease-oriented system. Uh, one of the commercials I heard play uh, for your show uh, in the break here was about erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And somebody is selling you something for this particular problem. Uh, 
Now, I practiced urology, and one of the things that I found useful uh, in managing erectile dysfunction is before prescribing a pill or a, a, a drug of some fashion, whether it's taken orally or injected, what have you, I don't hear any of these commercials talking about lose weight, diet, cut out the cigarettes, cut out the alcohol, go on a vacation. I can't sell you that, but I can sell you a blue pill. So part of the problem in terms of how we are managing our health care has to do with our, our, our disease orientation as opposed to preventative health orientation. I don't see too many ads on television talking about preventative health. Uh, we have a, a defensive society. Look at the, the legal cases, the lawsuits. We know, for instance, in terms of wastefulness, as I was addressing, we know that of that 20-25% of the $3 trillion, $3.5 trillion, $200 billion is, is uh, estimated to be spent on over-testing due to a defensive posture that we have in the United States medical legally. Uh, that in itself uh, is causing a lot of the wastefulness that may not be uh, nefarious. It may not be one of, 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 of mischievousness as opposed to the system and doctors and hospitals performing what they need to do to protect themselves. And we have a demanding society. You know, uh, robotic surgery came in when I was in practice, and I spent 10 years doing it, and suddenly everybody wanted the robot for everything. Uh, and you've converted a simple outpatient procedure to now a very expensive inpatient procedure because the technology is there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to do it. So with our disease uh, orientation, the demands, the defensive nature, as well as us having just a, a heavier or more obese, older, sicker population, there is plenty of room for wasted spending uh, for issues that we could control right there. As far as fraud, uh, it has been looked at, and I believe it or not, there has been estimated to be 75 to $100 billion in the United States just on fraud. Mm. So it exists just as in any particular industry. Uh, where is that occurring, I think, is, is, is a challenge to identify. Um, we do know that there's so much in the way of inflated prices. We know that there is so much in wasted testing. Uh, you go to a hospital for an emergency, and then you're transferred to another hospital. Why? Because your insurance demands it. <laughs> What's the problem with hospital A? Probably nothing, except they're not on your preferred provider list with your insurance company. So now you have to go to the next hospital. All right, you're transferred. Your films didn't make it. Well, it's mm -hmm. easier just to repeat that CAT scan than to wait the two or three days because hopefully they're going to have you out in two or three days. So rather than wait for those films, they will just repeat it. So we have over-testing being performed. Now, why doesn't Hospital A communicate with Hospital B? Well, part of that is because the electronic health care records are not synonymous. Mm. So, you know, where do you want to begin? Is, <laughs> it, it, it's just it's a, it's a compilation of errors. It's a compilation of horrible planning. Mm. Um, 
And, and, to, and to be fair, you know, if you look at the VA system, for, for many of its problems, veterans routinely love the VA system, and they give it well over 90% accolades in terms of their reviews. And you look at the VA system, I could go to a VA in, in St. Louis, or I can go to a VA in New York, and all the information is communicated electronically on one system. So there is none of this inco- uh, uh, interconnectivity difficulty between one electronic healthcare system and the next. And there is so much wasted just in the repeated testing and the, the failures, the dropping the ball in all of those areas. So I agree with you. There is certainly nefarious behavior. There is an opportunity to take advantage of need. Um, and, you know, this can extend to so many levels. We talk about nursing homes. We talk about the, you know, physical therapy, real bit rehabilitative therapy that is organized and prescribed within these, these corporate systems that own the hospitals. And, mm-hmm. yeah, gee, isn't that surprising? Um, <laughs> well, just for, I was going to say, just for the sake of time, because I know we got to go soon, I want to make sure people know where they can find your book. It examines and reviews the experiences of medical treatment from both sides of the table. It's called The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice. Again, if people wanted to find your book, where can they look? Amazon uh, is the easiest place, Ryan. Just uh, they could go to my again to my website, MichaelJYoungMD.com. Uh, they could go to my publisher, GMBooks.com. But everybody knows Amazon, and you simply type in the illness of medicine or my name, Michael J. Young, MD, and you should find that in my other books as well. Wonderful, Doctor Michael J. Young. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. This half hour just flew by. Wonderful. Thank you. Take care. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Wow, your news, your weather, all coming up right after the break. And we'll talk internships on Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 